0: The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday major on the planet with one million and one dollars on the table every week. Yes, one million dollars guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The one million dollars guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.
1: Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 158. Sponsored by America's Cardroom.com. If you want twenty-seven percent rate back from America's Cardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the oneouter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group Facebook.com slash groups slash one This episode and all other previous episodes are on the oneouter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for the show, then please email questions at oneouter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, this episode is being recorded on the 21st of December and we'll be going out tonight, Thursday night. And this is officially our Christmas special. Um, I don't know what's going to be special about it. Maybe we can answer poker questions. That would be... Uh, <laughs> than, we, I, I I was thinking that I was thinking what could we do that's special all right we can just go right in and just answer the questions and speak about literally nothing else but
2: then yeah we could do that yeah and but then I thought nah. my thing, guys I want to apologize about well I'm not really sorry but that's what people say uh if I caught anybody off guard with last week's Mike Ditka ask grants for 40 minutes someone I knew did pass away that day so I was kind of not in the mood and just really mad about a lot of things so yeah today we'll just get right into the questions and we'll we'll take care of you guys today if that sounds good
1: well uh, since it is Christmas what what's Alex Christmas gonna look like what have you are you one of these people running around crazy just now or are you not doing
2: much or what's happening I was literally doing my Christmas shopping right before we got on the air. Uh, I was, I was literally just doing it. Mm. I, uh, well, my internet has been out in my apartment for two days, which has just been amazing because I mean that somewhat sarcastically and I mean that somewhat seriously It's been amazing because obviously I can't do my job, and that's really frustrating. What was even more amazing is a technician was sent out to this house. The cable company couldn't figure out what was going on. A bunch of people looked at it this morning, and I said, hey, I'll take a crack at it. And I had to arrange to go in the other person's apartment because the router for this uh, shared living space. Uh, is in somebody else's apartment it's not my it, it's not my internet it's the person I rent the place from and uh, which is a nice perk because normally it's really fast it's fiber optic and all that but uh I went in there and I, I figured out uh, this one cord was <laughs> was wrapped up around the edge of uh, the house and it's kind of an older row house in New York. So whenever it was windy, which it really has been in the winter, the house would settle and it would pull this cord just a millimeter out. (laughs) So it was in the weirdest thing is the light was still on saying it was plugged in. It was just pulled just enough that the internet couldn't go through. Mm. And well, once I figured that out, you know, I rang out the cord and, uh, uh, very angry at the technician. Well, actually, I'm not. I wasn't angry because I'm having this weird thing, Barry, where I just don't care about people making these kind of mistakes anymore. I I, I was talking to a friend of mine, and they were saying, "Oh, the apartment owner, uh, the person you're who sublet the apartment to you should be paying for this because that was one of the perks." And I I, I was. Thinking, I don't think it's her fault. Uh, I don't think she did this maliciously. I don't think she ran out to the apartment and went, ha ha, I'm not paying this bill. Yeah. And I don't think the technician came out here saying, I really don't want to figure this out. I have no doubt he half-assed his job. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, if he, I'm sure he wasn't actively trying to miss it. So I just said, whatever, because I actually had, in that same vein, over the last two days, I've been able to work on a lot of projects of my own without emails going off all the time, which I didn't realize how... I'm not going to say that's draining, because it always bugs me when Tim Ferriss complains about people people who really support him just trying to reach him through email. I think that's actually very... Strange. I understand he can't write back to those people, but to just be angry about emails seems very strange. Oh, people like me, these jackasses. I can't believe this. But uh, it, normally I, I'm someone who likes to keep my email inbox at zero. And once in a while I'll just pop on over and answer an email or two. And it was really nice not to be able to do that and to not to be able to skim on the Internet. So I got these two webinars essentially scripted, diagrammed, put together on PowerPoint. That was really fun. Because I couldn't watch TV, I was finally using my Audible account, which apparently has been charging me for months, and I've just been putting it in the back of my mind. So I got all these new audiobooks. Well, I I was listening to audiobooks on the way to the gym every morning, but I just forgot for a few months. And I was listening to The Big Short. Uh, have you Have you ever seen that movie or read that book, Barry? Yeah, both. I've read the book and, and watched the movie, yeah. It's one of my favorite movies of the last few years. And yeah, the book is... The thing that's really... Not everybody says it's frightening, but to me it's actually kind of nice. Is The book proves everybody's an absolute idiot. Like, it, all the peop, all the heroes in the book are saying, it really can't be this simple. Uh-huh. It really can't be this stupid. These people, but everybody's just a little checked out in day-to-day life. And that was, for those of you who don't know, it's an analysis of the guys who shorted the uh, subprime mortgage uh, market right before the financial collapse of 2008 and how they arrived to those conclusions and also the journey that they took en route to making large amounts of money on the economy completely collapsing and their mixed feelings due to that, how, how strange a lot of these people were, uh, how the, how they were a iconoclast. And, uh, did I say that word right, Barry? You're, yeah, I you're, you're so. closer to where they speak real English. Uh, okay, I, I think so. I would say it like that. Yeah. Iconoclast, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. But, uh, it's one of those book re- words you always read in a book. You don't say, but, uh, Anyhow, the the thing about that book that just showed me it's like the people running the government clearly had no idea what they were doing. The people at the Wall Street banks clearly had no idea what they were doing, and the only way those guys could have been successful is if ninety nine percent of people were just checked out and not paying attention. And that's what happened. So I'm gonna go through life now with the assumption that people aren't malicious, but a lot of them are just checked out, and I'm not really sure why that is because for me the day seems to go faster when I'm keyed in and doing something but a lot of people just don't want to put in the effort so I wasn't really mad at the technician uh got got my uh got finally got my internet on and I was like great I can finally buy my Christmas gifts (laughs) which I haven't been able to do for two days because I couldn't get it done on the cell phone and in my part of Newark you've gotta walk like two miles in any direction to find a coffee shop. So I was just and I kept thinking the internet was gonna come back on at any second. So I was using my the internet on my phone eventually and buying my gifts and it looks like a couple of them are gonna show up after December twenty fifth, but for the most part just getting it done right now. Did you uh did, did you did you get gifts? for everybody barry
1: i've got a couple more still to get but most of it's done but yeah it's taking it back to the festive feel since it is our christmas special uh you touched on it there about you know like not getting angry at the repairman for the internet and if you think about it like the last few days you just start to feel the stress the palpable stress of people rushing around you at stores and uh the traffic's mm. heavier on the road, you know, when you're driving, etc. And mm-hmm. I said the other day, I was like, oh, God, this is, you know, I'm asking my 11-year-old brother, I'm like, what right, What do you want? You know, and he's like, meh, nah, I don't know. Uh, and I'm like, when I was 11, I would have had a <laughs> list, like, the long is my arm of stuff I wanted or, you know, no auntie or uncle or whatever had to ask me twice. I'd be like, yeah, I want this. And if you can't get that, then there's this. And if that's not in stock, then get, you know, I was getting a gift, and I knew what I wanted, whereas I think kids nowadays, they get so much throughout the year, it's Mm -hmm. like, it comes to Christmas, and they're like, man, I don't really need, you know, need anything, or want anything, which is
2: weird. Could you imagine when we were kids, getting done watching an episode of the Rugrats, and our parents saying to us, you know, if you want to watch every episode of the Rugrats, you can do it right now on this little box in the corner. Would we do anything else, Barry? I know. Like any – no, we wouldn't have done anything. And uh, it's it's amazing to me what – I try not to complain because I always feel like I'm in the future right now. It sounds ridiculous, but I started playing cards – Back when there was no Uber, when there was no WhatsApp calling, there was no Skype calling. We were using phone cards and uh, it, it, weird things like that. The other day, I was just uh, I was just bored at night, and I have a real hard time relaxing in my house. That's just where because that's where my office is, right? And sorry, guys, you might hear my heater trying to say hi to you guys in the background. But uh,
1: I, I thought you were lifting weights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, not today. But uh, 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 hold on a second. Totally. Oh, yeah. But when I'm in my uh, when I'm in my office, it's hard for me to relax because I can see my computer and it's a uh, business is kind of like a game. I just can't stop playing. I just want to go out, and there's always a few things I want to do. So usually when I want to relax, i got to get out of the house, right? And normally what that means is I walk to the library, and I read there. I have, Or I have my coffee at a coffee shop, and I read there. Or I go for a walk, walk throughout New York. And well, these days, like, I was just looking at StubHub. Uh, StubHub is this app where you can just get tickets, uh-huh. Uh, like somebody can't make it to their show. They can just sell their ticket. StubHub does everything. They don't even have to pass the ticket off to me, anything or anything. They just send the ticket to my app and I can go. I was looking and uh, the local NHL hockey team, uh, the New Jersey Devils, like some guy couldn't go. So he put the ticket up for 15 bucks. So for 15 bucks, I went and saw, you know, like a real NHL game Mm -hmm. uh, with one of the best teams in it. You can just you can take an Uber there, you call on your cell phone, uh, you, you get into the event with your cell phone. Uh, you go back to your Airbnb, which you got with your cell phone. Yeah. It's uh you can order Uber Eats with your cell phone and it just it's just so re- I'm listening to Spotify where I can listen to any new album that just came out and the artist doesn't even have to go through a label now to get to me. It's the future. It really is amazing and yeah kids these days how could i don't know if i envy them or if i pity them because i feel like the luckiest human on earth to be living in this time and i don't think they quite get how amazing this time is it's just like anything if uh if if uh well the honest analogy that came to my head is uh I worry about these kids with like pornography right because from the age of like eight they can you know they let them have computers in their room and it's like I know it, I remember being a 12 year old boy right mm-hmm. like if you told me hey there's porn on the internet I was finding it right mm-hmm. but I'm really grateful back when I was younger it was really hard to find right so that kind of stayed like sex was kind of like a special thing now these kids just... Like, everything is just blasting them with c- content of whatever. It's just... Yeah. It bur- I wonder if it burns them out. Like, if they just... Do you want a toy at the end of the year? No, I'm just burnt out. There's 2,000 channels of everything. <laughs> uh, you know? Well, I, I was saying it's, under like, it's crazy. It's almost
1: like... Like, touching up Since it is the Christmas special and Alex has brought up porn, um, then, yeah, it's like... Um, when I was... <laughs> When I was 13, 14, I remember there was like one of my mates had like a porno tape on VHS and that would get passed to someone else and it would go around like, you know, this VHS tape. Like you say now, 10 Uh, to 12 year olds can
2: go
1: on their their cell phone or their computer and basically see anything and I'm talking, you know, crazy you know the, the vhs tapes we had were just standard porn. like god knows what kids are looking at now
2: you know i it's know it's like don't you worry about them man like well bred-
1: I, I read stuff recently an article all about porn and like people watching it too much and, and listen and not just kids here you know like adults as well and oh, yeah. it's like the effects of that on the human brain and on on men and on relationships and the way it gets its it actually, it's like you know, I never thought I'd see, you know, as being a you know a, a red blooded male and whatever. When you actually start analysing stuff like that and reading arguments about it and stuff, it's some of the uh, effects, the externalities from it are are pretty crazy. um How it can yeah, affect people, but it's the world we live in now, you know. And, and denying it or trying to fight it is 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 hard. It's like you say. When I moved house and our internet was off for like a couple of days and stuff, it's like, you do feel different. You're like, oh, it's like you're time travelling back, you know, 15, 20 years ago. It's like, all right, I'll stick a DVD on. You know, when our TV, our cable wasn't on, so it was like, oh, I can, I've can i got loads of DVDs or so I can stick something on that I've not watched in ages that I've not seen yet. And then I would sit and read my book, etc And then once your broadband's on, and don't get me wrong, I mean, my cell phone's got unlimited data. Anyway, so it's like... I was still using it for that, but it, there is a big difference when you do that. And it, like, I, I'm not one for resolutions, but definitely, I, I've done well this year with it. It's just not using it as much and spending more time reading books, and because I, I I read a lot. Like compared, like some people I know, like personally, they, they don't read. They won't read one book a year. Like not even one book. You know, they they just uh, don't read. They might read a blog post or whatever, but they don't read a book and it's like i like reading books and Um, i i I don't want to get to the stage where i'm not reading and um you know because it's weird like i hate i think we spoke about this before when you've got books on your shelf and you read it like five years after buying it and you're like oh i wish i read this five years ago you know it's like i wouldn't have done this i wouldn't have done that it's weird and it's been sitting in your bookshelf for years and you're like, I could have applied that in this situation, etc. You know, it's it's strange. But going back to like the whole Christmas thing and I think it's just being my girlfriend, that well, fiance, I um, she said to me the other day, it's like you're just getting like a bit wrapped up in this stress. Of, you're letting it get away with yourself. Like it was certain things were pissing me off, and I was moaning and bitching, going, oh, you're in the <laughs> shops and these people are rushing around like fucking lunatics," you know. Like it's the end of the world, you know, and it was like days still till Christmas. It's still days, you know, it's like some of the sell by dates on the food are the 23rd of December. So it's no use for Christmas Day anyway. So what are you going to be buying it now? And I was like ranting and raving about, you know, people, this and materialist. And it's like, it's true. It's that old thing about stress and people annoying you. It only what it it only happens if you let it. it, You make a choice whether something's. (laughs) you know your internet's off for two days you can sit and moan and bitch and go this is unreal i can't get any work done this is like terrible like woe is me like poor me i don't have the internet for two days this is like what am i going to do and then you can look at it and go you know this happens now and again i know it's going to be on again sometime soon in the meantime why don't i take the time to you know read some books or do things that i wouldn't do with this downtime it's it's kind of like an enforced downtime and we're always talking about when you work for yourself whether it's playing poker you know consulting like alex or buying and selling stuff like me whatever it is or a combination it's hard to get those downturns so sometimes when they're forced they're like little blessings almost it's like
2: Mm -hmm. yes
1: i've got to do nothing for the next three days and like i i have an excuse almost you know it's like Mm -hmm. i i have to sit here and just read a book or whatever, because I can't do this or that. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. I, I completely agree with that. I don't, I don't have a ton to add to that, but I, I you're really making me realize, people can never figure out why I'm so chipper to take a train or go. Fl- I actually like taking flights places, because there's no, there, I can't work and everybody knows it. They're like, well. But where's Alex? He's on a flight. Oh, okay. I don't expect him to get back to my email. Or, oh, yeah. I don't expect him to get back to that right now. So that is my time to read. Mm. That is my time to think. That is my time to relax. Where it, And if I do do anything, say I do get in the mood to work, uh, and I use the Wi-Fi on the flight or the train, everybody goes, wow, he's even working on there. He's such a hard worker. But it's kind of bonus where – I worry In the, I get I get text messages at nine pm on a Sunday night, and I really think some of these guys think I'm supposed to write back to them. Yeah. and of course, of course, I do it on Monday morning and I don't it's never really come up. And most people are really polite, but and I, I don't think they're being rude by the way. for all I know, they're expecting me to write back on Monday and they just want to make sure they haven't forgotten something. But I also think there's a great deal of people now who do not understand how socially improper it is to demand someone's time at, on Sunday night. Yeah. There's a lot of people that don't get that. And I've really worked harder to distance myself at various periods of time. And it's, it's really difficult. There's, like when I, when I was at the hockey game, which was awesome, Uh, I wanted to be texting with my girlfriend the whole time because I love talking with her, but I made myself put my cell phone in my pocket and enjoy the game, not take pictures, not tweet about the results, not rewatch the goal on NHL.com. Just watch the game. Mm -hmm. Be a part of the moment. Talk to the kids in front of me, drink my coffee, listen to the announcements, uh, see the funny uh, presentations they do with the kids playing hockey and stuff like that. Just take in that moment. And I felt profoundly relaxed 40, 60 minutes later, like way better than I would have felt. Yeah,
1: it comes back to just literally being present. I mean, that is meditation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not mm-hmm. sitting on a cushion, like chanting for 20 minutes or half an hour. It's literally being present and when someone's talking to you, listening to them and then them listening to you and being aware of your surroundings. And like you say, you know, it was like when I went to see Real Madrid last year, the year before, I think it was. It was all tourists with selfie sticks and they didn't watch the game. It was all like just taking footage of it. I'm like, you can find this online if you want to video the stadium. You can get it in 4K (laughs) HD better than anything you can do. Like, you're here, they're playing in front of you, watch the game, and they were just, like, they were obviously, like, tweeting at Instagram, like, at the moment, and it's like, yeah, take a few pictures or whatever and then post them later, but not during the game. You're there to experience, like, that moment. And the biggest thing is, I suppose, is music uh, concerts and shows. You People go to it and it's all their phones up. You're like, you're watching this through a lens now, a screen what is the point in coming here? You, you better wait till it's just on television or on a DVD. Buy the DVD and watch it like that. What is the point? You, and most people never watch these films of the moment that they take as well. Oh, and I was reading something recently, like actually psychologists came out and said, when you take a picture of something, an actual picture with a phone or smartphone, whatever, your brain is less like, likely to remember that moment and taking points of that moment because it's You've already like catalogued it with a you know with an image, so the actual right. act of taking a photograph means that you will forget about it more rather than if you were just there and take it in, you take in all the sights, sounds and everything. The memory is stronger for longer. it stays with you because you're taking in more information, whereas if you're just worrying about your phone, really what you're doing in the moment is using your phone that's, so that's what you're remembering. Like take, take how to use the phone and how to press the button, you know, and take take this picture that way. I mean it is, it's crazy, but we sound like two old men on Christmas Eve
2: and um, I'm going to I'm going to continue because hold on, I have a few more thoughts. <laughs> Don't cut me off. We'll get to poker talk in just a minute. I'm timing this. I I'm all for taking the photos right when you get there, but then put it in mark where you're at because it is kind of cool to look back on facebook like a day later and go oh i mean like a year later and go oh look i was yeah, there I for that. that yeah yeah like that's fun but yeah keeping the memories and what there was one other thing i was going to say but yeah but something also i think is a really good practice that took me a really long time to learn uh, my girlfriend was going through a long Period of time where she was between jobs. Thankfully, she has a job she just loves now. Uh, but and it was you know that's a tough time for anyone because people. It's hard for you and I to remember Barry because we've been self-employed so long. But when you're between jobs, it's such a unsettling feeling. Like you're so apart from the flow of life. Mm. Everybody else is going to work and you're just sitting there doing as much as you can, but in, it's not going through anything. And uh, so, something I would just do is, uh, which I started doing in my real life, whenever we were in a bummer mode because of that, I'd say, hey, you remember when we did da-da-da-da-da, and it's just a good memory, right? Or I would bring up something good that happened that day. Like, you know, it was really nice today, and then – Eventually, and I I realize it sounds cheesy when people say, do gratitudes, right? I am grateful for this. I am grateful for that. But if you make it a habit to bring that stuff up on occasion, you will feel much, much better, especially if you can dig and find memories that maybe weren't there. Uh, If you had to really think through it or if one came up that you hadn't thought of in a long time, I find that makes me much more present, relaxed, grateful than anything else. And if I could give any of you guys anything <laughs> for the holiday season, it is fun to sit around with the family and instead of talking about politics, bring up some of the funnier times. I think that's always I think that's always a good idea to make yourselves feel a little bit more warm and relaxed and holiday like okay speaking of holidays i'm about to regale you with poker knowledge let's get into it well the the
1: christmas message is be grateful be gratitude and do do good for others because they're both healthy things that do come back and make you feel good about yourself which is productive and
2: Mm -hmm. and that's
1: what it's about what's the point in making money if you you don't feel good about yourself and have low self-esteem then it you know it just means nothing um that's the one com. ask alex christmas message finished we will get into the um questions now so Mm -hmm. let me have a look at the questions for this episode that we're going to cover okay um the first one is really technical so let's do this well i think it is i just see lots of numbers and signs so We'll do this one. Uh, this one is from Jean, and his name was Jean Noel, and I can't remember the surname. So I thought that was quite That's a very, our question <laughs> answer is very festive as well. It was Jean Noel, and I can't remember the, the guy's surname, but um, it's in the email. Anyway, his question is, hello, Alex. I have a question, and I don't know how to find the answer, so this is for you. I understand that when I bet one third pot, my bluff needs to work one quarter of the time to break even. I understand that when the villain calls a bet of quarter pot, he needs to win one-fifth of the time to break even. In Flopzilla, I see that if the villain calls my two bet with a 22% calling range, when the board is Ace-Queen-4-Rainbow, he will hit 23% of the time. I want to bet one-third pot as a bluff because I need it to work 25% of the time. And 25% is greater than 23%, so I think it's plus EV. But if I bet one-third pot of my opponent needs to call one-fifth pot to break even, and it will be correct for him to do this, because 23% is greater than 20%, can you tell me if I have to take in consideration the call-in break-even percentage, or just the villain's call-in percentage? Thanks. Now, I hope that made sense to you, Alex, because it didn't for yeah. me.
2: Yeah, thankfully, this is my day job. (laughs) Uh, Well, let me try to break this down what I think John Noel is asking here. I'm pretty sure I've got it. Uh, The question becomes for those of you who didn't follow a little what he was saying, the the way things work mathematically is let's say you bet one third the pot uh, as a bluff. Well, that would mean you're betting one third into three thirds, which means you're risking one third to win four thirds, because like, four thirds will come back to you uh, when your bet succeeds. So, how often your bet needs to succeed is one over four, 25% of the time. That means if your opponent folds 26% of the time, your bet is profitable with any two cards. Now, that that right there, we have to stop there and discuss that. That, that is where the money is made in poker, oftentimes. If you want to see something very interesting, filter for every continuation bet you've ever made on Hold a Manager, and you will find often you're just making money hand over fist. Uh, that's why I'm so insistent on people defending versus people three-betting them uh, to their left, either by making a bigger sizing or not opening when certain people are very good at that are doing a open that's so small that they could four bet very easily because once another person three bets you and you're not four betting and they can C-bet into you, they can take your money. Look how you're doing versus C-bets also on your database and you'll find you're probably not doing that well. Uh, That being said, uh, this is where a lot of the money comes in poker. This is why poker is different than other casino games. No hand is required Nothing needs to be hit on the board if the person folds over this percentage of the time. Now, he's asking on the other side of the coin. We've got the villain, and villain here is calling. He's not calling one third to win four thirds. He's calling one third to win five thirds because once his bet's out there, he get he gets all five of them if he wins the pot, right? So what ends up happening is he only needs to call with 20% equity because he only needs to be right 20% equity. Now, this is kind of confusing the first time because we're thinking if somebody just said, my bet needs to succeed 25% of the time in order for this to be profitable, and then another guy said on the other side, I only need to be right 20% of the time, we gotta think someone's fibbing, but what we're what we're not clarifying here is the other person needs twenty percent equity, right? That person does need to defend. though that person can't fold more than twenty-five percent of the time. So logically, that person needs to defend the rest of their range, which is seventy-five percent of the time. Uh, does that does that make sense to you, Barry? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If that makes sense, I think I did an okay job of explaining it. Matthew Jonda does, if he did a remarkable job of explaining this in his uh, his book, Applications of No Limit Hold'em, and I'm getting very, very deep with it if you want to go down the rabbit hole, uh, or just his videos on Card Runners if you can find that, but he, he's very good at explaining this if you want to look further into it. Okay. All right, next question is from
1: Kenneth. I have a question for the show. When playing online tournaments, I usually find myself with the 20 big blind to 25 big blind stack with a few hundred players left. I would never just shove this live, but I find online I shove lighter. Can you talk about what is a short stack online now? How many big blinds and some things that you have found? I hate to play like a robot a robot, a robot. <laughs> just 3-bet shoving 20 big
2: blinds. Well, it, it might feel like very robotic play, but it also might be correct. Your options, just like when you have less chess pieces at the end of a game, your decisions become much more finite. You can only move certain pieces. When you have less chips, you can only move certain chips down the board. You can only do so much, and... Uh, the 3-bet, 4-bet, 5-bet, triple barrels are not going to be feasible because you don't have the chips for that anymore. So moving all in might seem like a very simple strategy, but it it is an art form. It, it There's a lot of times you don't realize you could be shoving any two cards. Somebody opens 45% of hands and calls you with 15. Like You can just shove any two with 20 big blinds a lot of the time. Now, should you do that? No, because obviously, like, the nine-year soft is making you peanuts, but th- there is an art to short stack play. Like, where do you want to draw that line? What is the minimum edge you want? And a lot of times, I think you need to cut that a little bit more thinly than most guys want to, and, uh, can you hear me okay, Barry? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got, I got a little blue here, and, uh, the other thing you have to realize is if you re-jam and everybody folds, that is a remarkable profit margin. Pocket kings on average makes you like five, six big lines. Somebody raises to 2.5x to win the 2.5x out there in blinds and annies and you jam and they fold, you just turned your hand into kings. That is a conversion that is only possible if you have a short stack. And for this reason, um, when I have twenty eight big blinds I shove much more than most people. I see a lot of this happening. A uh, hijack opens to two point five X. Guy sits there with like twenty-seven and a half X and he's got ace king. And he goes, I, I wanna I wanna bleed money from this guy. So I'm gonna three bet to five point seven five. What they don't realize is if the guy could see your hand and he had six to a hearts, he's supposed to call with that size. And then if he just hits a pair and doesn't fold, he's playing more or less correct according to Card Runners EV calcs. And that's what most people do. So what you did is just help him really play effectively versus your hand, which is the fourth or fifth best hand, and hold him. Whereas if you just shove, which might seem like a grotesque way to ever play, no limit hold are you've just locked up five, six big lines, and if the guy calls you, a lot of times you have the best hand anyway. Now, am I saying that's a perfect strategy? You never want a three-bet call? but No, absolutely not. And there are times you want a three-bet to draw the guy in, but there are, ne- there are far fewer people four-bet jamming, bluffing now than there were four years ago. Mm-hmm. And When you 3-bet there, it's usually so small that it's going to be mathematically correct for the guy to call you. So shoving there, people shy away from, and I think think this listener is shying away from because we think of simple solutions as somehow subpar. If if uh, if, If somebody gives a simple solution that can't be right, because this is something super complex. Uh, therefore it must have a super complex answer. And that's we all we also think of simple as dispensable when really simple can be very correct, it, it it's it's more of a matter of finding what is the right move in the given situation. Now as to your, I think it's a problem that if you constantly find yourself with 20, 25 big blinds, I think this could also be because you're calling too many river bets out of position or turn bets out of position. Uh, that's usually what leads you to having to 20, 25 X in later stages as maybe in, in, not going for value when you're in position in a bigger pod, and likely have a superior hand. Uh, really, really would like you to hammer those rejams. Uh there's nothing wrong with them. Uh the other the other thing I would have you do is uh erasing from that stack depth I think I think a lot of times well that does put you in uh the tougher position but I, I think a lot of times if you just open from 3x from 25x people will look at it as a much bigger raise than it should be and if you see that something normal from that 4x 4.5x people take it as th- this must be a big hand they're making a larger than normal raise from a shorter stack and they, they do tend to fold a little bit more and again if everybody folds to your preflop raise that's again 2.5x uh, that's 250 big lines per hundred. That's a that is a substantial profit. And I I think that is an under appreciated facet of no limit hold 'em. Both of those plays, and a very very fun part of no limit hold 'em to execute if if you get deeper into the problems. Uh, good luck to you. Okay.
1: And this one is from Thomas. Hello, last episodes have been fire. I'm um, not, sure <laughs> not sure when he sent this one in though. So <laughs> um, You guys are great, long may it continue. My question for the show is about my overall tournament strategy. How do I find the balance or sweet spot of tournament life and plus EV plays? I usually find myself at either end of the spectrum, sometimes playing too tight, sometimes too loose. Is just playing every individual hand really the best we can hope to do? I understand this isn't cash games, but in tournaments we need to have one eye on the price structure and our tournament life, especially if the buy-in period has ended. Hope this makes sense. Thanks.
2: Well, very good question, Thomas. Thank you for sending it in. In my view, there's... We've discussed this on previous episodes, but perhaps we can flush it out a bit today. There, there's two goals in uh, No Limit Hold'em tournaments. There's cashing and then winning. A lot of people that win poker tournaments but never cash don't make money in the long run. And people who cash all the time but never win don't make money in the long run. You need to do both very frequently. For one thing, you got to get... This is something I've never mentioned before, but you have to be very confident of your heads-up game uh, to be playing null and hold tournaments because winning is such a big deal. And I, I find that to be the part that's lacking in many people, many people's game when they get deep in tournaments, uh, especially a real inability to triple-barrel bluff, a real in, inability to triple-barrel uh, for value, a uh, real inability to call out of the big line and check-raise frequently. Uh, These things are really necessary in heads-up play. Uh, That being said, I think as far as your tournament life, there's one time where I think it pays to dial it down just a couple degrees. And everybody says, you know, the bubble, that's the time to take over. Well, if everybody else has the exact same idea, which most people do, That actually the best strategy would be a counter strategy, which is just tighten up a few percentage points and then really take advantage of them widening out a few percentage points. Uh, Because everything, uh, what I mean by that is, let's say somebody opens from the hijack and I have king jack offsuit from the cutoff. And generally, I'm 3-betting there these days because I can safely assume people are opening 25% of the hands from the hijack. And King Jack Offsuit is really doing well against them. However, this is a very high variance play, and it's not for a ton of profit. And furthermore, complicating matters is this guy is in the frame of, we are on the bubble. I am supposed to put pressure on people which means I can't really calculate what his 4-betting percentage is going to be, whereas it, throughout the rest of the tournament, in my experience and in my study, it's more or less static. People people are not into 4-bet bluffing anymore. Uh, on that note, since pre-bubble play is something that's a little harder to quantify, which raises variance without any... Profit to clarify very easily. Any profit to gain very easily. I would say if you were at 30, 40, 50 big blinds, a few out from the bubble, I would drop out the really weak three bet, three bet semi bluffs. So the suited gappers, the, the unsuited broadways, the small pairs, stuff like that. Um, I would, uh, perhaps I would fold the suited aces from earlier position, the suited connectors, things like that, the small pairs. And uh, other than that, if you are getting a small edge, when, when you are down by, if you're 29 big blinds or less and you have an edge of 0.1 big blinds, 0.2 big blinds, you'll hear a lot of people say, I don't want to sue that edge. A lot of times those are the best edges you're going to get with a short stack. And you do need to go for that. So the first 70% of a tournament that that uh, to me, we've talked about the stages of the tournaments, but the first 30% of the tournament, I find everybody plays with their money like Monopoly money, so I'm just trying to isolate people and get value bets from them. I do a whole lot more free betting in this round than I do opening. Uh, like 30-70% to 70% 80%, I call this the dog fighting stage, and that's when every there's blinds and annies out there, and people tighten up a little bit more, but they're still willing to gamble, and I, I think this is when you can start scoring bluffs and pre-flop raises and taking them down. And then that there's a brief period before the bubble where making .3 of a big blind might, again, it doesn't seem like much that it's 30 big blinds per 100, but that might not be worth it, or even a full big blind if it's going to cost you a min cash. If the min cash is going to be substantial to your earnings over time, which it, which it is, min cashes add up. They they add up quite a bit. And again, the adjustment you're making there is just a couple degrees, and it's mostly due to because this time in history, people are still a little overly aggressive at that point. Should everybody get the same idea that it's time to tighten up before the bubble again, you can go ahead and increase your 3-bet semi-buffing to ten six suited and suited 2-gappers and 3-gappers and small pairs and ten nine off offsuit and stuff like that. But that was 2008 when that more firmly existed. It doesn't exist now. And to treat poker right Tournament poker right now is if it exists in the way it did 10 years ago, I, I think is a very dumb decision to make and would not exist in any other financial market, but it's very prevalent in poker. Once you're in the money, payout structures are generally very flat. Uh, it's not finishing at 171st is usually going to pay you about the same as finishing 49th maybe like a 2x increase. That's a very flat structure. And from 48th to 11th is not going to be wildly different either. Obviously, it accelerates a bit. And then at the final table, suddenly it just shoots up at the final three spots. That's where all the money is. So if we looked at this on a graph, it's like flat, 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 flat top-heavy. Now, in that kind of structure... What, what your first goal is to make it into the flat arena because generally tournaments pay too many players uh in, in my in my opinion they pay too many players because that's popular for casinos and that's popular for players and uh, that allows everybody to get some money and then come back and be ranked again and uh so generally that pay, the the money is just going to be very up until the final three spots now any real edge you can find, you take it. You take it because that final three is where you want to be, and you can justify any plus EV spot, and your tournament life is really secondary. Mm-hmm. And then once you get to the final table, that's when the, that, that's when a lot of the jury rigging starts. That's when you have... Uh, it, if that's when you have different dynamics, such as you and one other person have a huge stack, everybody else has a short stack, six-handed. It it doesn't really... It's not really in your best interest uh, to fight with the other big stack, but it's it's a good idea for you to threaten him. It's not a good idea for you to call him because you'll just spew money to everybody else at the table. Uh, if you're the one big stack and there's a bunch of... Medium stacks and a few short stacks, you should be pressing on the medium stacks. And if you're the short stack at a final table, you're just allowed to gamble as much as you'd like. Uh, any plus EV spot you take. And oftentimes, if there's seven players and you're fifth in chips, I find people take, they pass on way too many plus EV spots on the off chance that players six and seven will go in and then not win. They're all in. And oftentimes, one of those two caveats uh, is not scene to completion so you just end up finishing 7th anyway so you should take that edge. Uh, I, I hope this has been helpful to you Thomas, good luck to you
1: Okay and um, you got time for one more question, or? well actually reading it, it looks like we'd probably be better leaving it for the next episode I think it's one that deserves a bit of uh, extra time. Sure,
2: let's do that for the next one Yeah Okay, Alex,
1: well, how can people get in touch with you for private coaching, webinars, and any of your upcoming projects and stuff that I'm sure are in the pipeline for the new year?
2: Uh, If you want to get a hold of me, uh, write me at alex at pokerheadrest.com, and I do respond to all of my emails. Uh, Usually takes me about a week, but just because of how many come in, but it is me on the other end of the line, so... Uh, If you want to sign up and get some free videos and things like that, go ahead and uh, go to pokerheadrush.com, and you can go to the top right and sign up under the email newsletter. That's my blog, by the way, if you're into blogs. It's uh, it's kind of just my little pet project if you want to check it out. Uh, I post book reviews and super nerdy things like that and uh, uh, sometimes talk about being on the tour and uh, things of that nature. You can follow me on Twitter at the Assassinato. I'm doing videos on Tournament Poker Edge right now that you guys should really check out. And I'm on YouTube at Assassinato Coaching. There should be some things coming out, so stay tuned for that. You just reminded me,
1: um, I still read Alex's newsletter, and the last few ones he's made comments uh, about <laughs> myself, and... I think he's doing it just to see if I still read it yeah, so I'm just letting you know <laughs> I'm just letting you know that I do still read them and I see them about my exclamation laden uh, <laughs> points of show notes and I think the last one was about yeah real like that, de- you know it was like two bullet points or whatever <laughs> and uh yeah my thing for that is I've just got the uh, title of the show and then whatever we've discussed like whatever I just put it in um, if you think, if anybody thinks there's any, going to be any transcripts written of this and that, that ain't going to happen <laughs> I'm, I'm still doing that I'm still doing that with uh, old interviews that I will compile eventually, like the ones I did with I've, what have I done? I've done the Helmuth, Greenstein and maybe no, Jungleman as well I have not. I think Chris Muirman's the next one I've got to do and that's taken me years to set aside time and even do that myself, so um, yeah, the the show notes will be the title, what episode number it is, any little plugs for Alex that are extra or whatever, and then it'll be literally a couple of bullet points about the questions that we, or even a sentence. Sometimes it's not even a few bullet points. So yeah, Alex, I do see those little comments. <laughs> I do still, I do still read your letter, uh, your newsletter as well. It's good. I always learn something from it, or it reminds me of something that. I thought I knew but I forgot and then I go oh yeah I don't apply that just now and then so eventually things will sink in that way as well so no it's good I enjoy your newsletter all joking aside even the digs it myself <laughs> um so well Alex uh we will speak again next week the 28th of December and all the Christmas madness will be done all the food will be eaten and the presents opened etc so um until then i hope you have a good christmas all our listeners alex yourself as well i hope everything's good with the family and you have a good time and we will speak on the 28th and we'll probably do one going into the new year with alex's hopes dreams and ambitions and we can talk about maybe a little bit on goal set and we'll see what other questions are in and what 2018 is going to bring for alex and the poker world and things and going forward all that good stuff so thanks for listening
2: um unless there's anything you want to add alex before i close it up or merry christmas happy hanukkah tip top tet in a i don't know restful ramadan (laughs) you guys have a great holiday season it would it's uh i'm really grateful to have a platform thank you guys from the bottom of my heart thank you for being a listener yeah Thanks for listening,
1: everyone. Until next episode, cheers. Cheers.
2: A merry Christmas. <laughs> merry Should Christmas. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, you guys say happy Christmas, right? I know we say merry Christmas. Oh, okay. What? Why the? Why in Harry Potter do they say happy Christmas? That bugged the shit out of me when I was a kid. I've never, I've never seen Harry Potter any of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice. I've not. You guys say happy holidays.
2: Yeah, we do. I, I, I Okay, the tape the that. tape's
1: still running, so we're leaving this in anyway. So, <laughs> all right. That's your Christmas special. Done. <laughs> Cheers. See you next
2: week. I thought you ended it. All right. Take care.
0: The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday major on the planet with one million and one dollars on the table every week. Yes, one million dollars guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The one million dollars guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.